and good morning. Y'all doing well today? All right. Sounds like good to see you. You know, I say that, I think, 52 Sundays a year. It's good to see you. Wonderful that you're here. Wonderful that you're joining us online. And you know, anything that you say over and over and over, maybe you start to doubt the the sincerity of it. Is he just getting up and just saying the same thing over and over? But I hope after last week, you know why it's so wonderful that we're all here together, right? Man, we're building a bond. We're building a fellowship. We're building a bond in our common experience of the worship of the Lord. We're building a bond in our love for his word and wanting to understand it. And we're going to leave here in a little bit, a little closer to God and a little closer to each other. Amen? Yeah, at least that's the idea. We'll see, we'll see what happens. Hey, if you're new to our church or maybe you've been out a couple of Sundays, three Sunday, two Sundays ago... We started a new series in First John. That's what we're studying. So we're only two weeks in. Today's the third message. You're not far behind. I encourage you to go online to our website, thb.church, and you, you can listen or hear or watch sermons. And uh, our church app is even an easier way uh, to do that and take notes and share and all, all that kind of stuff. So pretty easy to get caught up when we're only on the third message. But the first message, if you did want to kind of get in the groove, the first message, I do kind of an overview of the letter. I do an overview a little bit of John the, the Apostle. And I think you could hear that one and you'd feel like, okay, I know what we're doing, why we're doing it, where we are. Uh, I, I think you'd feel like you were right apart. So go, go pick that up and and get on board with that. Today, though, we're in 1 John chapter 1, verse 5. As you're turning there, go ahead and start turning there. You'll find 1 John near the end of the New Testament. Go to Revelation. If you get to Revelation chapter 1, then you just back up a few pages and you'll be in 1 John pretty quickly. So go ahead and get that open. As you're turning there, I want you to think about two words. Two words. I want you to think about parachutes and safety nets. Okay, two words, they have something very in common and something that makes them very different. What they have in common is they both keep a human body from having a really bad interaction with the ground. We, we're all on the same page. We understand what that means, right? That's a parachute. Safety net, uh, again, same thing. But now here's the way these two words are very different, and it's in the attitude of the user, Okay, I've never parachuted, but I'm guessing if I'm about to jump out of a plane and I've got a parachute on my back, I want to use it 100% of the time. Are you still tracking with me, right? But a safety net, now think about this, for the, for the person up on the high wire, the trapeze, they probably hope not to use the safety net. They probably know they will. A certain number of times. And they'll be very grateful that they have it, right? But it would be their goal as they're up there to not have to use the safety net. Is this all clear? Parachutes and safety nets. Are we good? All right. We'll just, we're going to leave. We're going to put those over here. We'll come back and pick them back up in 20 minutes or so. Okay. So uh, let's go ahead and read first John then first John chapter one. And I'm going to begin in verse five. This is the message we heard from Jesus. Now, I'm going to stop right there. John makes it real easy to want to stop every phrase and say something. But uh, I I want you to remember kind of what we looked at last week. John really plays the I am an eyewitness card. Okay, we're only in verse 5. And this is now the third time 
He's referring to, I was with Jesus. Last week, we heard him twice say, I heard, I saw, I touched, I heard, I saw. And now we hear him saying the message we heard three times. He's playing the I'm an eyewitness card. And that's kind of significant at this moment. It's A.D. 90. All of the apostles are are, are gone. They've all died, many of them decades earlier. And there would be others that outside of the apostles that are eyewitnesses, but just by the sheer date, they're, they're dying off kind of rapidly at this point. And in most cases, when John is in a room with a, with a group of people, he's the only one there that can say, I, I saw him, I touched him, I heard him. And he's doing that here because it establishes the authority of what he's communicating. Now, you understand, as that's important in AD 90, it's the exact same importance to you and me. We are listening to an eyewitness, somebody that heard and saw and touched Jesus. And he says, hey, listen, I heard what he said, and now I'm telling you. This is the message we heard from Jesus and now declare to you, God is light. And there's no darkness in him at all. So we are, oh, gosh, this is a little tough. So we're lying if we say we have fellowship with God but go on living in spiritual darkness. We are not practicing the truth. But if we're living in the light, as God is in the light, then we have fellowship with each other. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. You know, I I just referred a moment ago to the high wire, unrelated to that. You're gonna see today, and you're gonna see it even more next Sunday John is walking on a high wire. John is walking a really thin line where like literally in the same sentence, he can talk about how God loves you and forgives you and then turn around and call you a liar. As a matter of fact, I'm going to say by the end of next week, you're going to go, you know, I'm a little tired of being called a liar. Uh, He's kind of stuck on that, but uh, he he does continue to hold out God's love and forgiveness. Verse 8, if we claim we have no sin, We are only fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. But if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and he's just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. If we claim we have not sinned, we are calling God a liar. And we're showing that his word has no place in our hearts. You know, one of the things I love about John is just how simple it is to read him. He is One of the easiest writers, not just in the New Testament, in the entire Bible to read. Now, that sounds a little bit like an opinion, right? In my opinion, John's one of the easier. But you know, it's not not really opinion. It's almost like a fact. I mean, when you're a first-year Greek student... You're going to John. That, that's where you're going to, to do your, cut your eye teeth on, on Greek. He uses simple words. He has simple grammar. He has a lot of repetition. I, I mean, it's just easy to read John. And even in the English, it's not uncommon when a, when a person comes to Christ for the first time, where do you send them? Go read John. Go, go read John. John's just simple and clear to understand. And so, but while John is so clear to understand, don't, don't misunderstand. <laughs> like, like you say, God is light. That, that's like a, I don't know, an inch and a half in my Bible. But that inch and a half goes a mile and a half deep. 
He can really roll back and forth between making such clear, simple statements that are so, so deep. You know, when I talk about John that way, you know, I, I, I'm reminded of something we talked about last week. L- last week we said Jesus is 100% God and 100% man. You remember that? You know, there's one other thing that kind of fits that same mold. The Bible. The Bible is 100% God. It is 100% man. When you look down on the pages of your scripture there, every single word is there by God's mouth. He spoke it, 2 Timothy 3.16. It's out of his mouth that we look at a word, that we look at a phrase, an idea, that we look at an entire sentence. Everything here is God's. It is not man's. And yet... As God revealed, as God communicated this word, John, Moses, Paul, Isaiah was not just sitting there. Would you say that last line over again? They're not just taking dictation. As God reveals, as God communicates, he does that through their personality, through their life, through their experience, which really makes a a beautiful tapestry as God's word comes out. I'm sure he appreciates my opinion. Um, as it comes out, because, you know, we're all impacted a little bit. And, and sometimes we hear and respond well to kind of those of our own personality, our own way of thinking. So every writer brings a little bit of all of us. And we can kind of connect with that. So as we come to the Bible, it's 100% God. This is him and what he's saying. But man is a part of it. And, and in with John, we see that simplicity. So there's a very simple statement here, right out, of the, right out of the gate. God is light. Man, what am I to understand about that? Well, it's pretty simple. Man, when you're talking about the being, the presence of God, there is a lightness to that. There is a brightness to that. And 1 John 1, 5 joins dozens of passages throughout the Bible communicating that very idea. Just to kind of see what we're talking about, here's a couple of samples. Uh, Three passages, Ezekiel 10. And the court was filled with the, the brightness of the glory of the Lord. His radiance is like sunlight, Habakkuk. Matthew and his appearance was lightning. This is just three. There's many more that communicate. Man, when you, when you see God, when you behold God, light is a word that's going to come to your mind. But while that's a very simple idea, we would be missing so much to travel by one five and all we see is a bright light. This is a mile and a half deep. There's so much being said in that. And we know that by how he further elaborates in saying there's no darkness in him at all. You know, all the way through the, the Bible, John really, all of his letters, the gospel, really uses this light versus dark. But all of the Bible does that. That is a theme you will see all the way through the scriptures, light versus dark. And under the word light, you'll see the scripture put certain words, certain ideas. Under the word dark, you'll see the scripture put some words, put some ideas. So like when, when the scripture is talking about that which is dark, what happens in the dark, that's where we're going to find words like fear, a lack of knowledge, of course, sin, I mean, sin and darkness are, are almost used in tandem. They, they go hand in hand. Uh, shame, guilt, deceit, uh, all of these ideas are going to go under the idea of dark. So when it says that, that there's no darkness in him, in him at all, and remember, what's our key word? What's our key idea? It's fellowship. 
It's saying in God, he has no fellowship. He has no common bond. He's not trying to share an experience with fear, with a lack of knowledge, with sin, with shame, with, with deceit. He, he's not sharing anything with that. But here's the big one. Nor with anybody is he in fellowship with that is sharing in those things. God does not build. Remember, we use that word. God does not build life with sin. God does not build with deceit. God God does not build with wrongdoing. He's not going to build in that. He's not going to have a bond with that. Nor is he going to have a bond with somebody who is doing that. God's light. God's light. And, And the things that go with light are what go with God. Truth, transparency, clarity, purpose, peace, life. Life and light are, are often linked together, as is death and, and darkness. So, so we're, I mean, just three words, and we're wonderfully introduced to the character of God, the amazing, incredible character of God. And that is now contrasted with a character that is less than amazing and incredible. That's humanity's character. That, that's your character and my character. If there was a, a word that described God, it would be light. And if there's a word that describes us, it would be dark. Clearly, as an unbeliever, that, that is our character. We, we live life in darkness. But even as a believer, we can go back to that darkness. What we're talking about here is one, one big theological idea of this is total depravity. And that, that's something we believe in, that, that, that man is totally depraved. What does society say? That we're really pretty good. And something or someone just messed me up. And the scripture says, no, out of the gate, out of the womb, you are totally depraved. Now, what what does that mean? Total depravity does not mean that I do every wicked, bad thing possible. That's not what it's saying. Because that's not true. We don't do every wicked, bad thing possible. What total depravity does mean is that every wicked, bad thing is a possibility in me. There's no sin or sins that I can look at and say, oh, I'd never do that. But don't we? I mean, I do. I mean, as I stand here right now, and I've got a lot of years behind me. I have a little track record going here. I really feel like with sincerity, I could look back and say, I'd I'd never do that. I, I hadn't done it this far, and I would never do that. And the Holy Spirit say, Whoa, Simba. Don't get so carried away with what you got conquered. It is always a possibility in me. Now, while we do not do every wicked, bad thing possible, what total depravity does mean is that you, that I, that we do many, many, many wicked and bad things. As a matter of fact, maybe here's a way to understand it. I do many, many, many Wicked and bad things in my mind and in my heart. And many, many of those escape my mind and heart and land in some words and actions, right? We all know that about ourselves. And it, and it, it, it seems like we all know that about ourselves. And yet, what does John do now? All of a sudden, he's talking about some person who's claiming to say, I've, I've never sinned. You know, I've been in ministry almost 30 years. I've never heard somebody say that. 
Not, not, not in the church, not outside the church. I've never heard somebody say, I've never done anything wrong. I've lived a perfect life. I, have you heard anybody say that? I, I haven't. I mean, most of us are pretty, we're pretty free. No, I've, I've messed up. No, I've, I've done some things I, I know I shouldn't. That may not be a sentence coming out of my mouth. But it really can end up being a thought life, a pattern by which I live. I, I would say we can see this today in America with the, with the total exaltation of self. What self thinks, what self feels. I, I, you, know what, you want to know what a sin is in our country? A sin is to say that something I'm feeling and thinking could be wrong. You know, I, it would be a sin against myself. Don't ever tell yourself that. You need to live out what you're thinking. And a greater sin would be you. How dare you think you can come into my life and tell me that something I'm thinking and feeling is wrong? No, listen. Hey, here, here's the mantra of the God of self. You be you. That's all you need to do in life. You be you, man. If you think it, if you feel it, live that out. And that's where John, God, is saying, uh, you're, you're lying to yourself. You do have bad thoughts. You do have wrong feelings. You don't need to live with the idea that you being you is pure and good and wonderful because it's not. Is this saying that every thought and feeling I have is bad? Of course not. But you are having them. You know, again, let me show you, I think, a way of thinking. And folks, this goes on inside the church as much as outside the church. As a matter of fact, it goes on more inside the church because people outside the church don't care. But, but we can say, and don't think about somebody else, okay? Let's just stick with the, the biggest problem, the biggest liar I have a problem with, me. We can say, you know, I have a, I have a relationship with God. I've had an experience with God. I'm, I'm good. I'm spiritual. And yet I can have actions and attitudes that are profoundly living in rebellion to God. And I see no contradiction there. And I'm not even trying to hide that. I, I don't feel I need to justify it. I sure don't need to listen to anything you've got to say about it. I can, I can say I have something with God while I live in rebellion. To, how does that happen? This way. I love God. I believe in God. I know God has said things. But I feel. I mean, sh- surely... God respects my feelings. We just asked the God of the universe to bow down because my feelings are bigger. My thoughts are bigger. As a matter of fact, I think we would even say it a little bit differently. Certainly a loving God. Would not a loving God respect what I think and feel about this person, about this situation, about processing life, surely God's going to respect that. So let, let, let's go with that thought. Is God, in fact, being loving? 
if he honors and respects the lies you're telling yourself. Is that what somebody who loves you does? I I just respect the lie you're living? Especially when that same God has warned me that I have an awful problem lying to myself. You know, a good verse that goes with, with 1 John 1, 5 through 10. If you got your Bible open in a pen, you may want to write this right here. Jeremiah 17, 9. Very, very important verse. Look what this says here. The heart, your heart, probably the person next to you also, but all you need to be focused on is yours. Your heart is deceitful above all else. You know, my guess is everybody here today, everybody watching right now online, we've all been touched by deceit, haven't we? We've all been hurt by somebody deceiving us. We've probably all had to pay a price because somebody deceived us. We've all felt that. Some of us are obviously much worse than others. There's a, there's a spectrum there. But with all of that pain we can endure because of the deceit of somebody else, with all of that cost we can endure because of the deceit of somebody else, do you realize nobody has deceived you worse in your entire life than you? Nobody deceives you worse than you deceive yourself. You have not paid a higher price at the hands of somebody else than you've paid at your own hands. The heart is deceitful above all else, desperately sick. Who can understand it? And the answer to that implied question is, you can't. You can't understand your heart. Now again, is this passage saying... Every thought and feeling I have is a lie, is a deception, is, is bad and wicked. No, it's not. What this passage is saying is never underestimate your total inability to catch it when your heart's lying to you. You will miss it over and over and over and over Listen, folks, we don't process life. We don't process our feelings. We don't process the actions of another. We we don't process the world by our own thoughts and feelings. We process it against the Word of God. We process it against the light. That's all darkness. Why would I measure something against darkness? I'm going to measure it against the light. My great goal, your great goal, is not to be true to myself. My great goal is to be true to God and his word. That's our goal. God and his word, not myself. Myself is a liar. Myself will lead me astray. So, I got to, I don't know about you, I got to get in the light, (laughs) right? You see why it's so important to say, hey man, I I, I don't want to live in the dark. There is a difference. I'm making a choice every day, all day, in a hundred interactions. I'm choosing one another, one or the other. I I want to live in the light. And so the first thing I, I need to do is just simply recognize that when I sin, I just stepped into the darkness. Little sin, big sin, nobody saw it, nobody was hurt by it, nobody cares, everybody around it respects me. When you, take it, when you sin, you just stepped into the darkness. So what, what needs to happen now? Something's got to change. (laughs) I've got to get out of the dark and I've got to get back into the light. And do you know the path for doing that? The way from darkness to light is confession. Confession. I got got good news for you today. This might even be kind of a, a new thought 
for many of you, even if you've been in church all your life. You are not confessing to get God's forgiveness. You're, you're, you're not forgiven because you got them all confessed from yesterday, this past week, your whole life. You're not forgiven because there was a little tear when you confessed. You're not forgiven because, boy, this time you really, really did hate yourself. You just despise yourself. What a horrible person you are. None of your forgiveness is based on that. We're not confessing to get God's forgiveness. My forgiveness, your forgiveness, is anchored only and solely to the blood of Jesus Christ. Has nothing at all to do with my confession. And when I was forgiven, I was forgiven past, present, and future. All my sins are forgiven. They're all paid for. And so John, knowing... If I'm really being honest with myself and I'm really dealing with what I did yesterday and this week and whatever else comes to my mind, there's a real good chance I'm going to say, God, how could you love me? God, how could you love me? How could you want anything to do with me? And that's why John brings in forgiveness right here. He says, hey, listen, as you work through that list, I just want you to know something. You've got God's forgiveness. There's no question about that. As a matter of fact... Here's what removes any question about our forgiveness. God's being just when he forgives. We're not forgiven because we gave a real good confession. We're not forgiven because we caught God in a good mood. We got, we're not forgiven because God's really kind and he looks at you and he knows you're doing your best. Okay, I, I forgive. No, it's none of that. It's an act of justice when God forgives, because all our sin was paid for by the blood of Jesus Christ. When you turn from trusting anything else out there to tell yourself you're good, and you put all your faith in the blood of Jesus Christ, at that moment, all sins are forgiven, and it is an act of justice when God says, you've already been forgiven. That's already been paid for. Well, if I've already been forgiven, then why am I confessing? To move from dark to light. Folks, confessions is for me. What, you think I'm let God, you probably don't know this, but yesterday made a little mistake. What do you think in confession? We're letting God in on something? No, I'm confessing because in the act of confession, I have a chance to actually acknowledge what happened. I chose darkness. You know one of the hardest things about growing in the Lord? I don't think I've ever used that sentence. It's blessing to grow in the Lord, right? But when I was new in the Lord, when I was immature in the Lord, I could pretend like I didn't know. I could pretend like I didn't know. I could pretend like, you know, I know I shouldn't have done it, but they... And, and, you know, I'm a victim of what somebody else has done and just the mood they set up. And so I felt, I can't do any of that anymore. I don't remember the last time I committed a sin where I just didn't flat out choose to commit that sin. I know before, during, and after that it's wrong. I, I, I don't need God to show up and say, hey, you know, yesterday that wasn't wrong. Really? I didn't even know. I, I can't. I don't know about y'all, I can't claim that anymore. I chose darkness. I chose the darkness. I chose to build a bond. I chose to build a shared memory with the lie and with the sin. 
And confession is me trying to wake myself up with the help of the Holy Spirit and say, God, I acknowledge that word, that action, that thought, that is of the darkness. I've been making choices for darkness, and I want to be in the light. Confession is my activity to move from darkness to light. And again... And John says, and you've been forgiven. Go ahead. Don't be afraid to start calling them out. Don't, don't be afraid. God's going to find out something about you and you're going you're gonna to lose something. No, God already knows. God's forgiven. He's just when he's forgiven. Now you get serious about dealing with all of the darkness that you actually choose. Now, let's go back and pick up our uh, parachute and safety net. When you have the thought, and I have the thought, and we've all had it. I don't, I don't know how often you've had it. I don't even know how often I've had it, but I've had it too much. I know this is a sin. But. And we're going to do it anyway. Knowing. Trusting. I'm forgiven. When we're doing that, we're picking up God's forgiveness like a parachute, and we're using forgiveness to jump into our sin. I'm loved, I'm forgiven, this will be okay, and tomorrow I'll say I'm sorry. Now think about the, the logic of that, and I'm absolutely confident you've done this. I just don't know how recently. I'm now suggesting that Jesus suffered and bled and died on a cross so that I could. Now, folks, we get all caught up in thinking all God's up there doing is saying, shame on you. You're a bad person. Don't do it. It's not about you've done something wrong. I'm now picking up God's forgiveness and I'm using it to build a fellowship with darkness. With something God is never going to build a fellowship with. Is that why Jesus died? Jesus died and shed his blood so I could connect with and I could build with something God is never going to connect with and build with? Does that make any sense at all? And yet that's exactly what we do. We charge right into our sin knowing I'll say I'm sorry. Folks, God has given us Forgiveness as a safety net. He says, here's what I want you to do. Okay, you've come to me. I'm now your father. You're my child. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to go out there and I want you to live just like me. In the Sermon on the Mount, he actually says, be perfect just like I'm perfect. To which any real thinking person is going to go, I can't, I, can't, I can't do that, Lord. I'm so far from that, Lord. And sometimes the task seems so overwhelming. Why even try? To which God says, no, 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 no. Listen, I want you to be holy and perfect just like me. And if you fall, I've got you. I've got you if you fall. Do you understand the two very different ways we use forgiveness? The way God gave it to us was to strive after being just like him with no fear of tripping because he's got me. 
And how many of the people today are picking up forgiveness as some kind of safe way to jump into sin? Folks, we got to see if we're jumping into sin, we're choosing to bond with darkness, to build with darkness. And at some point, we've got to ask ourselves, what's my fellowship with? Is, is my fellowship with light or dark? One sin that does not mean I've built a fellowship with dark. One sin is a problem, and one sin means I'm in the darkness. But, but when we start building a pattern of life, when we start using forgiveness to continue in our sin, I think at some point we have to ask ourselves, what's my fellowship with? Folks, there's a difference between relationship and fellowship. I have four kids. I'm their father. They're my children. Absolutely nothing on the planet can change that. There's nothing that can undo that. Fellowship is how much we enjoy the relationship. And obviously, they can act in ways, and I'm, I'm playing the role of God here. In reality, I can, I can mess it up too. But if I'm God and they're my children, they can do things that don't erase the relationship but it kind of ruins the fellowship. What does that mean when fellowship is ruined? What does it mean when I'm over here in darkness? It means I'm not going to enjoy the relationship I have with God. I'm not going to experience the blessings that come with a relationship with God. And the church today is filled with those people. And we walk around and saying, you know, I've done the Christian thing. And I just, I don't, I don't, to be honest with you, I can't tell God's here. I can't tell he's around. I don't see any blessings from this or, or that. The other. What we may be doing is saying, I've got no real fellowship with God. I'm not building that bond, perhaps because I'm building the bond with darkness. And at some point, we have to ask ourselves, you know, not have I lost a relationship. The relationship is secured by the blood of Jesus. But we might ask ourselves, did I ever have the relationship to begin with? If nothing in my life is building that fellowship. I think this is where John is looking. I mean, folks, this isn't addressed to the, to the world. This is addressed to the church. I, I think when John writes these words, when God gives John these words, he's anticipating it's a room full of believers that are processing all this. And so as we come out from a week of maybe building too much fellowship with darkness, John is saying, God is saying, hey man, turn on the light. You're really lying to yourself. How do we turn on the light? I'm I'm finishing today like I finished last week. What are you building? What's the common bond? What's the the thing you're, the common memory, the common sharing? What are you building with God, with his word, and with God's people? With God's people who will speak God's word into your life. You know, I think something very sad about the, the church today in America. And this is an opinion. I, d- I don't know if I'm right But I think the average believer can walk into the average church in America today and share their feelings, and what they will hear is, you be you. You be you, man. God loves you. You be you. I need someone, something that's going to challenge me not to be true to myself because I deceive myself. I lie to myself. 
I need, I need somebody to say, hey, the goal is not to, for you to be you. <laughs> the, the goal is for you to be like Jesus. So let's take those thoughts, those feelings, those access, actions, and let's process them against God and his word. I, folks, if you don't have a friend like that, make that the big prayer in your life this week. God, I need that person. Love me and support me, but say, hey, let's look at God's word, not just how you feel. Amen? And if right now you are like me thinking, boy, the culture sure needs to hear this, that just really clarifies some things. Or if you're thinking not even culture, you've got a name. Boy, I know who sure needs to hear this. I think God would say, eh, let's just deal with how you're lying to yourself right now. Turn on the light. It's to people sitting in church that God said that. Let's pray. Father, I want to be, I I believe I'm in a room full of people online with people that really do want to get up there and soar. I want to be holy, I want to be godly, and I want to be just like Jesus. And I want to be so grateful that your forgiveness is there to catch me when I'm not. Lord, I'm sorry that I, I use forgiveness in ways that are wholly unworthy of that which I just said. I use forgiveness to build a bond so great with darkness that I don't even recognize the darkness I live in. I don't even recognize the the lies that I tell myself. God, would you help me help us turn on the light? Lord, I pray that as we walk through this week, I just, I pray my heart, my mind, my soul is so sensitive to this. And I see everything as light and dark, not to judge others. But I just start to see every sentence, every action, everything going on around. It's either going to help me build fellowship with light or it's going to help me build fellowship with darkness. Let Let me become aware of just what I'm doing day in and day out, week in and week out. And help me realize I am building a fellowship with something. And I want it to be light, Lord. I really do. I'm sorry I've become so comfortable with the dark. Lord, I pray it's an enlightening week for every one of us as we see what's going on in and around us all this week. We need your help. We need your patience. So very grateful for your forgiveness and justice. So grateful for the blood of Jesus Christ. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen.